you know, coaches want to coach, com competitors want to compete. Did, have you missed that the last couple of years? Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, being out of the game uh, gives you a great deal of respect and, and uh, you're very grateful for the opportunity when it comes along again. It's uh, obviously the top league in the world and there's only so many positions and uh, I think the uh, the view from, from time away really gives you a... Um, well, it humbles you, actually. It gives you an opportunity to look at games in a different manner. You're not scouting them to, to try and be prepared to beat them. You're learning and watching and seeing the changes in the game and, and uh, reaching out to my friends in the game and staying in contact with them um, was, was a, a different way of watching it, but um, it's exciting time to get back to work. Working with the defensemen, obviously you got to defend and take care of your own end, but I mean, Tip even mentioned when he was hired, you got to attack with four, even five guys sometimes. So how does that maybe change you working with a, with a decor nowadays? Yeah, I think that the game has evolved to the point where, where it is a five-man attack, and I think that when you talk at this time of year, that's a real emphasized point is how do we get our defense up and rush and joining and then you as the season wears on by the time you get to the Stanley Cup playoffs let's make sure we all can defend well and defend strong and and as you get into the Stanley Cup playoffs and teams in the very you know the very end uh, the players talk about the ability to win one nothing, the ability to defend and, and play strong in their own zone and lock games down so I think that we all want the defensemen in the you know the group to attack offensively but the responsibility and accountability to play without the puck and defend and, and the details away from the puck will be established you know in, in September and I think it's not a, a mindset of saying they can't do something offensively it's just the accountability and the responsibility and the belief that play without the puck is, and is an important part of winning. How do you feel about if this is the blue line that you return? How do you feel about what you have to work with and what, what the group looks like? I've watched a lot of you know of, of, of you know, a lot of, of clips from from their past season. And I think that you know you look at they got some young players. I think that are that are going to be pushing some of these guys in, in training camp for jobs. I went back east and and uh, watched some games in Memorial Cup and saw some prospects there. And I think that. You know, you seeing what they're, I would guess the, the, the depth of the group is, is excellent in Edmonton for the group. I mean, you watch, uh, you know, I, I, like, I like the ability for them to improve in areas. I've talked to Glenn Gullickson lots about, about their style. I've talked to Ken Hitchcock lots about the group back there. And I think there's some areas that hopefully we can add some details to and some structure and some consistency. And, and, uh, and being healthy from the start of the year for the group is going to be really important. So if we can stay healthy and come in with this group, I, I think we can you know, be a good group. The, about all the young players that they have here as a coach is that kind of you know there's like unmolded clay almost that, that when you want to get your hands on a player yeah i think that you have to make sure that the veteran players responsible players your important players that are there now are really dialed into uh creating the identity you want to play with and i think that the young kids have to come in and and take their jobs so if you can create the identity with your existing group that this is how we're going to play this is how we're going to defend this is how we're going to create offense that when you get that group up and running, connecting with your forwards and with your goaltender, that, that that's, that's got to be the foundation to your game. And if the kids can come in and push and, you know, you check, you know, obviously Ken Holland's history is to, you know, make sure the kids are overripe when they come up. And I think that you have to create that luxury by making sure the players are in the game, in the league now, that, you know, that, that can carry that. So it's, um, I, again, I think they're well poised with, with the depth they have with the, with the young defensemen. The Oilers' penalty kill over the last two years has been poor. I don't think it's any other way to put it. Um, 
So how do you improve that? I mean, is it just personnel or as a coach, how can you really impact that, build some results and some confidence? Yeah, I think it is confidence. I think it's a, you know, you, you know, it's heard a hundred times, but your penalty, your goaltender is an important part of your penalty kill. I think there's some structure uh, that, that that's important to get, you know, in place and build confidence. And I think that when it starts off in a, in, you know, not well, um, you have to try to reestablish the confidence in the players, the details, the consistency. And, and uh, I, I think that, you know, going forward now, when you get in the training camp and get to know what their, where the confidence level is in it, you have to build on that and then try to identify some details that hopefully we can uh, kill with a little more pressure and be a little more aggressive and, and, uh, and improve it from there. Jim, for you personally, uh, things almost seem to come full circle for you. Your first round pick of the Oilers in '82. Uh, just maybe talk about the, the journey and uh, how it's all come full circle. Yeah, it is kind of neat, actually. You know, you think back to '82, it seems like, well, it was forever ago. <laughs> but uh, you know, they were in the business of winning Stanley Cups, and they had a good teams. And you know, I wasn't able to crack the lineup, and I wasn't good enough to play at this level. And and I moved on to Chicago after that, and the way I went with my with my career. And and uh, so to be able to coach uh, and and come back it's it's awesome it's it's you know it's a special thing to be able to 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 coach in NHL and it's obviously special to coach in Canada and it's it's a, it's a you know it's awesome to be able to go back to Edmonton where it all started and and hopefully uh, get back to winning when you're away from the game for two years okay look I'm already using information you told me you were talking about yeah, so I gotta yeah. ask about the yeah. Harley ride though sure yeah like that's you like what prompted that? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what happened was when I first got to Arizona, uh, uh, my wife and I, Roxanne, went over to Dave Tippett's house for supper, and him and Wendy had us over, and we were walking out in the garage, and he's got two Harleys outside, and I'm like, or two bikes, rather, two choppers out in his garage. I'm like, what's the story on these? He goes, well, I built one during each lockout type of thing. So I'm like, oh, okay. So Arizona, you see bikes all over the place, good thing to do. So I kept thinking to myself and talking about one day I should buy a bike. So then it was November of you know, last year, and I wasn't much going on. I had a friend, John Rowe, come down from British Columbia, and he was in for the week on his bike to go riding. So he says, ah, let's go look at some bikes. We went and looked at one, and I bought it. And after I bought it, I said, I, could someone drive it home? Because I don't have my license. And so I went and got my biking license, and I practiced for a couple of weeks. And I took my wife for a ride one afternoon, and she loved it. So we you know, put about 10,000 miles on the stupid thing driving all over Arizona. So it's it's a it's awesome because you got to pay attention to what you're doing because no one else is paying attention to you. So just to get out and the freedom to ride and to forget a lot of stuff is uh, it was very therapeutic and uh, yeah, I'll have one for the rest of my life. This was just this past November, like seven months ago. Uh, or do you mean a year and a half? A, a year, a year and a half, yeah, but still, yeah, that's pretty yeah, amazing. Yeah, okay. yeah, and actually, I didn't ride it for the first block of the year because it was cold down there. I, <laughs> I mean, I know it sounds crazy talking to someone from Edmonton, but it was a little chilly down. So, uh, so yeah, no, I put about 10,000 miles on it in the last, like I say, probably rode for, that would be in about a six-month riding window okay. of time. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, it was awesome. And uh, I'm not sure I'll bring it to Edmonton, but it's, uh, it'll probably stay in Arizona. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.